Hey, we're Todd and Kristen. Join us as we learn to become fearless in love. Well, welcome to the Fearless in Love podcast. We are glad you have joined us and I think we have a good discussion for you today. We are going to begin a series here about one flesh. So, yes. Kristen, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm so excited. <laughs> I really am. I think it's good stuff. We've been talking about it, well, for a very long time, but most recently, last few days, and I'm just, yeah, I'm excited to share what the Lord has placed on our hearts. Yeah. So, if you have been following along with us, we have been going through uh, Ephesians 5, 22 through, to this point, 30. We've mentioned 31 and 32 uh, a number of times, but today, as I said, we're going to begin a discussion, a series of discussions that we will have about those two verses and also other places where the that same phrase of the two shall become one or two shall be one flesh is used in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so just to refresh your memory, Ephesians 31 and 32 says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And so out of just kind of a curiosity, I guess, a while back, I took a look at where else in the Bible that phrase, the two shall become one or one flesh, is used in the Bible. And it actually is, there's four different places. It's actually five, but two of them are the same. It's, it's in the, the, the Gospels and it's Jesus teaching. It's the same story of Jesus uh, responding to the Pharisees when, when they're talking about divorce. And so... The, the four places where it appears are first in Genesis 2 in the creation account, in uh, Mark 10 and Matthew 19, as I just mentioned, where the Pharisees are questioning Jesus about divorce. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is talking about, that the heading on it is sexual morality, but there's really some deep teaching about that where one, where that concept of one flesh or that phrase is used again. And then here, as we just talked about in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. Mm-hmm. And so what we're going to do over the next few podcasts, I'm not exactly sure how many it's going to take. It kind of depends on the conversation. And But we're going to take the next few podcasts and we're going to look at each of those places where one one flesh is used and just see what we can learn from that. And then we'll uh, continue even on a deeper discussion around it in, in, you know, the episodes that follow. But we want to just start with that. It makes sense to take that, you know, really survey of the Bible to see, well, where does this show up? And in each time it's actually, there's actually a powerful teaching that's associated with it. And uh, you can see in each of those, times that God has views one flesh as something very significant and very powerful. So the first place, as we said, that it uh, is used is in Genesis 2. And if you go back in some of the earlier episodes, we've talked about this a couple different times, but at the end of the creation story in, you know, we have Genesis 1, Genesis 2 that describes the 
how God created everything. And at the end of Genesis 2, the woman is created by God by taking a rib from the man and forming her and then bringing her to the man. And right after that, the man says, you know, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then it says, therefore, which always means we take a look at what happened before and which we'll talk about, but therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So the exact same uh, phrase that was used in Paul used in Ephesians 5.31, where he was just really referring back to the beginning, again, just talking about how God had brought the two together as one flesh. In Ephesians 5.32, Paul says, you know, it's a mystery, and it's this relationship between Christ and the church. But when we look at Genesis 2, immediately following that phrase, there's another sentence that that really is the final sentence in the the creation account and it says and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed so the first time we see the use of the phrase you know the two shall become one flesh it's in the context of the creation of the man and the woman it's in the context of god performing really the first marriage ceremony and giving them this charge that they were to become one flesh and then making it clear that the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So I think there's something powerful in that for us to begin to unpack. And that's what we're going to do in this episode today is really begin to unpack the idea of what might it look like if we could be in a place as husband and wife where we could be naked and unashamed in the way that they would have been in the garden and what that might look like, you know, in our relationship with each other. So that was a lot (laughs) that I just kind of threw out there, but do you have some just initial thoughts related to that? So I was asking the Lord about, just about that. And I felt like he was reminding me and showing me that he brought oneness into this world. In Genesis 1, he says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And so he is three in one. He is a God of of union. He's a God of oneness. And here he forms the woman from the man So it's like he's showing us right from the very beginning that he is a God of oneness. This man and this woman, you know, this woman coming from this man, there's this oneness from the very start. And then he, God brings the woman back to the man, just showing them you're meant to be one. You're meant to be together. And this, then there's this marriage ceremony, the Man leaves his father and mother is joined to his wife. The two are united into one. So I just had this picture of how God is showing us from the start. He is a God of oneness, of union, of connection. And I just think that's a really powerful thing to remember because then we know what the enemy came in to do. He came in to 
bring a division and to break that communion, that relationship. And so we know he is a God of oneness and of connection, which I believe why that's why the marriage relationship is so incredibly important because there's this oneness that is meant to reflect the oneness of the Trinity. Yeah, I think that's really, really powerful and important because it it does kind of tie all of the the creation account together and the significance of the man and woman being made in the image mm-hmm. of God. Yes. And and I think there's something that's significant about the first woman being created by taking by God taking a part mm-hmm. of the man to to create her and then bringing them back together and telling them that you are one flesh. Right. And so if you if we think about that, the idea that they're one flesh. Now I said the next sentence says, and right. the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. But when you think of the idea of one flesh in the context even of what you just talked about, this idea of unity and oneness, you know, that is comparable to the unity and oneness of the the Trinity. You can see from that, that oneness certainly means more than just sexual intimacy, mm-hmm. right? It's more than just coming together mm-hmm. to coming together as one, having sex. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. There, right. There, is, there is more to it mm-hmm. than that. Mm-hmm. It's like, as you think about that picture, what are some of the other things that would mm-hmm. come into play you know, in the idea of one flesh in a relationship that does what you were saying there, that reflects mm-hmm. that relationship of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. I think it's being fully connected. So as we talked, we've talked about multiple times, but God telling us, or Jesus telling us to love the Lord, your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. So I think about truly that is when I think about heart, soul, mind and strength that is like the very essence of who we are. Our body you know our heart lives in our body. <laughs> our heart my our mind is part of our body, our soul, the very essence of who we are and all of our strength. So it is this whole person Love. It's giving all of yourself to the Lord and to another. So it's this fully connected, integrated <laughs> oneness that happens between man and wife. And so when I think about that, it is it is a a love that is meant to be displayed through every part of who you are every part of who we are to be given fully to another, I think is the way that God designed and and not holding back, you know? And so it certainly is the physical connection, the sexual connection, because I mean, if you hold that back, that's holding a big part of who you are away from your spouse. It's, it's your thinking. So 
your connection in, in your thinking. It's your heart is just giving of yourself, your emotions, your feelings. It's a full giving to one another and not holding anything back. And so, and then to think of that being with the naked and unashamed, I mean, if there is, if you are ashamed, you can't fully give yourself. And so I think that feeling being naked and unashamed is the piece where we are able to then fully give ourselves to one another. So I guess that's what I think about is just, it is a, it's an integrated whole person of who I am loving you with that kind of love is I feel like God's design and also loving the Lord in that way and actually primarily loving the Lord in that way and then letting that flow into the way I love you. And I mean, imagine how powerful that picture really is on this earth. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it is super powerful. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that was a great, a great explanation of that and just kind of the fullness of what one flesh looks like. And then if we take it to just the level of physical intimacy, mm-hmm. sexual intimacy between husband and wife, and we think about the garden, right? So there, there was, there was no sin. Uh, nothing had been introduced to them that would have, you know, distorted the way that God designed things that would have, you know, influenced them in any way other than how they were created. And I think about, you know, the idea of being naked and unashamed in that, in that context, you know, as you said, there would have been shame would not have been present because there was no sin and there was nothing, they wouldn't have even been aware of anything that would have possibly caused them to feel shame. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about that in the context of sexual intimacy between husband and wife, in the idea that you know, the two shall become one flesh and they were naked and unashamed in the garden where there's no sin. Mm-hmm. I continually think of the phrase of innocence. Mm-hmm. You know, there would have been just a, a, a complete innocence in what they were experiencing. They would have been just experiencing each other in, I think, just a curiosity, a wonder, a discovery, um, no expectations, you know, just a a exploration of each other to discover the the beauty of what God created. And so the idea of that innocence, you know, you hear the phrase, they lost their innocence or there's been a loss of innocence. And I think all of us have experienced that. Well, not, I think I know (laughs) all of us experience that in the, in the world that we live in because there, there are constantly things around us that are, really designed to to do that you know are designed to twist. keep us from or to yeah to twist mm-hmm. to to cause us to 
view sexuality in a way that could never be associated with innocence. Mm-hmm. It's like as soon as you experience something sexually, you've you know lost your innocence mm-hmm. in the way that the way that it, the world kind of presents the idea of that. It's like you you are innocent until you experience something sexually, and then it's gone. Mm-hmm. Then your your innocence is lost, mm-hmm. and that would not have been the case in the garden when sin wasn't present that innocence would have been present and would have been continually present. And the kind of the idea of loss of innocence then ties to, to shame where often, you know, where, where, where it's so, Oh, you know, we had a loss of innocence, then shame sets in and you can see that's just the, that's part of the pattern of deception that is designed perception or a designed pattern by the enemy to, to keep us from really being in a place of, being able to experience the power of sexuality in our lives as husband and wife. Mm-hmm. And so I guess the, the question that comes to my mind as I am processing all of that is, do you think it is possible to be one flesh with the kind of innocence that would have been present in the garden? I mean, I think the fullness of what actually took place in the garden, I think it would be very difficult to fully experience that on this earth because we are surrounded by sin and deception and, you know, we just don't live in that setting. Mm -hmm. However... The fact that Jesus came, died, and was resurrected so that we can experience newness of life, be born again, experience the restoration and reconciliation with him that he died for, 100% there is beyond measure hope for experiencing so much more of the garden goodness of sexuality than what we could dream or imagine. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and you and I have tasted that it's, we haven't arrived <laughs> by any means, but we have, I mean, God has transformed our thinking and renewed our minds in a way that we see it. Like, I can't say we've done a one eighty. We've probably done a one. I don't know what <laughs> 60. <laughs> right. I don't know. I'm sure. I mean, obviously we have a long way to go because there's, always so much more in what God wants to show us. But, but it has, I mean, it's shifted dramatically. And so that is the beauty. There is beyond measure hope for us to be able to experience it in such a beautiful, pure life giving way than what anyone can imagine. I mean, and God has that for every single person (laughs) he has created. And so it's really exciting. There is so much more and it's so beautiful and it just takes a renewed mind. And a lot of that comes through the Lord meeting us in those places of, of where we have experienced brokenness in this area. And if we let him meet us there and bring truth and light and hope and life and it, it, he heals those areas so that we can then experience so much more just 
becoming more fully alive in this area of sexual connection and oneness. And he cares so much about oneness. I mean, that is what he kept showing me as I've been praying about this is he is all about oneness. That's who he is. That's why he's three in one. And so, of course, he has a beautiful, powerful opportunity for that kind of oneness in the marriage relationship as we allow him to to do the work that needs to be done in us so that we can experience that. Yeah, that is so true. And maybe a common perception is that, well, like if, if you would experience, if we would experience that kind of innocence and that kind of purity around our sexual connection, that it's going to be boring <laughs> or just going to be something that can't, there's no way that could live up to the other kinds of experiences that you could have. Mm. And like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just such a 180. It's just that that's the lie the enemy wants us to believe, period. It's just not true. It's straight up, flat out, not true. Right. Period. Right. And, and to, I mean, honestly, even to, to like think that, if you really step back and just process that, that thinking, you know, to think that, okay, God created our bodies. Yeah. He created our bodies in a way that they are capable of experiencing so much pleasure. Mm-hmm. He created us in ways that parts of our bodies solely for the purpose of experiencing pleasure. Mm-hmm. And he, and that was his creation. Right. And you know, he said they were naked and and not ashamed and to think that he did that and not want them to experience mm-hmm. the fullness of like the the wow in the way that he created them. He, he created us in a way that obviously our our anatomies fit together perfectly. Mm-hmm. He did that because, like you said, that that oneness. But he didn't just do it in a kind of a utilitarian way. You know, he did it in a way that was like designed to create unbelievable pleasure mm-hmm. and connection. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, in his, I, I see I like in that, a garden where that. that that massive amount of pleasure is for the purpose of that a deeper connection and oneness. And like, you know, I think there's a purpose in that. Yes. It's just for, I mean, it's for joy. It's for, it's for pleasure. It's for, but I think it's so that because he wants so much for us to be connected as one, because that draws us back to one another. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the hormonal part of it is right. we are drawn to one another. The more we come together as one flesh, the more we desire to. And that's his, that's by design. Like that happens physiologically and that is by his design because yes. he wants us to experience oneness, right. one flesh, one. Yeah. But he did that in a way that, that the more that we mm-hmm. connect that way, the more that we become one in all of the ways that you describe, the more pleasure is generated mm-hmm. from that. It's not a, you know, well, it's not really the pleasure is kind of a secondary thing. And it's, I mean, it is a, it is a, an intentional result of oneness and is something that the more we experience, the more pleasure there's, the more there, the, the, the more desire to connect. And it's like, it's this, it's a cycle that, that is, it's for flourishing. Yes. It's for it's for fruitfulness. And 
you know, not only in the possibility of having children, right. but just in the fruitfulness of your relationship, of your, of your life, of your, that connection of that oneness. It's, it brings a flourishing in your relationship that then affects the world around you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really good. And I think, mm-hmm. I think it's a, that's a great starting point for mm-hmm. this discussion. Mm-hmm. And as we said last time, we want to have a little takeaway each time so that you can have both some deepening of your understanding personally, and then also some opportunities for deeper conversation with your spouse, if you are married or with friends, if you're not around these, these topics. And so as I think about the discussion that we've had today, I mean, I think one really powerful thing that we could do individually is to, again, sit down in a posture of receiving from the Lord. If journaling is your way to do that, then, you know, with, with the journal, if it's just in prayer, then in prayer, whatever, whatever that is where you are able to, to have that, that focused attention and openness to hear from the Lord, to sit down and to, to ask the Lord, and Lord, where am I not able to be naked and unashamed? So is there part of me that I am not, where I'm not able to be naked and unashamed? Is there a part of me where innocence needs to be restored mm-hmm. by you? Mm-hmm. So just asking, asking that question mm-hmm. of the Lord. And again, just pausing, listening, writing down, or just, you know, recalling the things that you are hearing and then, and then take that and what, what you hear, what you process through that and have courage to be open and vulnerable with your spouse or with a friend around those things that you heard. That's how in a, in a husband and wife relationship, for sure, that's how that kind of vulnerability and discussion around those topics are what free us from the shame. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes it can be difficult conversations and it, and it may, you know, maybe a process to, to get there. But if we have that, that desire that that's what we want, those are the conversations that will ultimately bring us to that place. And that is part of giving your whole self to the other. That's part of loving with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, because you are loving by being vulnerable, by being open and is sharing your heart. That is a part of that oneness and that connection that we just were made to have. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So really encourage you to do that this week. And uh, if there are questions that you have, or you want to share any feedback with us, or you, you want to share the wins of having these kind of conversations with mm-hmm. your spouse or with your friends, uh, we would love to hear that. Mm-hmm. And again, you can always reach out to us at fearless and love podcast at gmail.com with any of those types of things. We have received uh, some of those stories from some of the listeners and they've been super encouraging and uh, it is really, it's fun to be able to hear, you know, people that we don't know mm-hmm. that are listening from who knows where mm-hmm. for us and who are being impacted by these, these discussions mm-hmm. and really being impacted through the the Lord and then being able to hear those stories is it's super, 
encouraging and powerful. And so, yeah, feel free to to share any of those that you would like. <laughs> and if you have other things that are coming to mind as we're talking about this, that you say, you know, questions like, I would love to have a little more discussion about this or that, mm-hmm. or feel free to let us know because we would we would love to be able to do that. So that's it for today. We are, again, thankful that you took the time to join us. And so until next time. Together, let's learn to love fearlessly. 